Welcome to Folklore on the Rocks. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm Logan. I'm Lindsay. And thanks again for joining us. We are back here on Folklore on the Rocks, and we are going to stay in Australia. Now, last week we talked about the bunyip, mm-hmm. and that was a really fun little walkabout to the outback. Yes, it was. <laughs> Down to the billabongs in Australia. And we kind of wanted to spend a little bit more time there. Uh, I just <laughs> missed that snuggly bunyip. Yep. I know. I know when I went to Australia, I tried to stay as long as I possibly could, and I'm getting the same feeling now. So mm-hmm. so let's go back down for another visit down under. Down under. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, that way I was logging. <laughs> and what have you got for us to drink tonight, Lindsay? So Australia is really filled with fantastic wines and fantastic beers. And I can vouch for this. Yeah. It really, I, I did not really learn to enjoy wine to the level that I do until I went to Australia. Yeah. Exactly. And it really opened up my eyes to what what Australian wine can be. And it's super, super good. Yeah, delicious. So what we are drinking this week is one you may have heard of before. It's called 19 Crimes Wine. And we are drinking specifically one called The Banished. And it's a dark red Mm -hmm. from 2016. And in order to kind of explain why this is relevant, I'm going to just read the back of the bottle to you, actually. I think it does a better job of being concise and explanatory than I can. They did their homework. (laughs) They did. (laughs) All right. So it says, 19 crimes turned criminals into colonists. Mm -hmm. Upon conviction, these rogues, guilty of at least one of the 19 crimes, were sentenced to live in Australia rather than death. The Banished is a tribute to James McNally Wilson. In 1866, Wilson was court-martialed for desertion and mutinous conduct and placed aboard the last convict ship to sail to Australia. In 1876, Wilson survived a dangerous escape from his prison in Fremantle and fled to New York, spending his remaining years in the U.S. to learn more about this and similar stories, please visit the 19 Crimes website, 19crimes.com. So basically, it's a wine from southeastern Australia. It's a red. It's delicious. We are thoroughly enjoying it. Um, I know that this brand is is the one that you may have seen on Facebook or something, that they have an app where you can download it and face it towards the bottles and the convicts that are on the front of the labels come to life. Yeah, I've it's seen really the videos cool. and that's kind of a cool way to frame it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the history gets recorded one way, but these were living, breathing people who exactly. found a way to live in this really harsh land. They're, they are the 19 crimes. Mm-hmm. They are the things that could get you exiled to Australia. And we kind of wanted to bring this up because A, it's a good Australian wine, and B, it's a nice segue into talking a little bit about colonists and Aboriginal people yeah. to Australia. Yeah, really, it, there were people there before uh, Australia was colonized. <laughs> yes. And with the, Australia was colonized, but the people who are native to that land had some amazing folk tales and that's what we're focusing on today mm-hmm. so we have the element of our colonists but we also have the element of our natives to this beautiful and wild continent yeah and and really it had a uh, 
a, a different sensibility to it than Western uh, folklore. Mm-hmm. Uh, these, these aren't stories of knights and dragons. These are stories of animals and uh, and the creation of the world and and the spirits and energies that are all around us. Mm-hmm. And that they called uh, the dream time. It's the the stories that came from the oral traditions before colonists came there. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where we'd like to share some of these uh, some of these other stories yeah. and, and, and kind of dig a little deeper into the background that set the stage for everything else that came after. So let's start up uh, with some of these Dreamtime stories. What do you say? Sounds good to me. All right. All right. This one is simply called The Creation Story. This is the creation story of Inyampa country, as well as the land belonging to Eagle Hawk and Crow. Now long, long ago, of course in the beginning, when there was no people, no trees, no plants, whatever on this land, Guthi Guthi, the spirit of our ancestral being, he lived in the sky. So he came down and he wanted to create a special land for people and animals and birds to live in. So Guthi Guthi came down and he went on creating the land for the people. After he'd set in the borders in place and the sacred sites, the birthing places of all the dreamings, where all our dreamings were to come out of. Guthi Guthi put one hand on Gunderbuka Mountain, and another one on Mount Grenfell. And when he looked out over the land, he could see that the land was bare, and there was no water in sight. There was nothing growing. So Guthi Guthi knew that trapped in a mountain Mount Menara, the water serpent Wiawe, he was trapped in the mountain. So Guthi Guthi called out to him, Weowie! Weowie! But because Weowie was trapped right in the middle of the mountain, he could not hear him. Guthi Guthi went back up into the sky and he called out once more, Weowie! But once again, Weowie didn't respond. So Guthi Guthi came down with a roar like thunder and banged on the mountain, and the mountain split wide open. Weowie the water serpent came out. And where the water serpent traveled, he made water holes and streams and depressions in the land. So once that was finished, of course, Weawe went back into the mountain to live. And that's where Weawe lives now, in Mount Manara. But then, after that, they wanted another lot of water to come down from the north, throughout our country. Old Pundu, the cod, it was his duty to drag and create the river known as Darling River today. So Cod came out with Mudlark, his little mate, and they set off from the north and created the big river. Flows right down. Water flows throughout our country, right into the sea now. And of course, this country was also created. The first two tribes put in our country were Eagle Hawk and Crow. And from these two tribes came many tribal people. Many tribes. We call them subgroups today. So my people, the Ingyampa people, and the Barkanji, further down, are all subgroups of Eagle Hawk and Crow. So what I'm telling you, the stories that were handed down to me, all come from within this country. So yeah, it's kind of a different story from what we're used to. It doesn't have yeah. much of a beginning, middle, and end. Not or, much of a narrative, really, but more of kind of just a general explanation. Yeah, it's it's a handful of details in a sequence. Mm-hmm. But the, it's because this story has been passed down again and again and again. And uh, really, it, it has a certain reverence and a certain... A uh, combination of mythology with real history uh, that these these different tribes of people 
coexisted and figured yeah. out how to how to survive. Absolutely. And, and I mean, we, we see in a lot of creation myths and stuff like that, that they're like explanations for how the land that's around them is created, like we see in this story. Yeah. And, uh, I, and I like that it has a, an inherent closeness with the land. Uh-huh. That I don't know. One of the one of the things I always like about dinosaurs and fossils is that human beings aren't the greatest thing to ever walk on the planet. Yeah. And I like that this story has kind of a similar idea. It's well, we're all just here the leftovers of this much greater story that's already happened. Yeah. Everything that you see around you is created by something. Yeah. And here's the tale behind it, you Mm -hmm. know? And like I was saying, it's present in many, many different creation stories. Everyone has an explanation for the things that they see. Right. And it's more in folk religions that that's the case, but I find it fascinating. Oh, absolutely. In the, (laughs) in the words of, uh, well, I guess it was Wacko Warner. <laughs> we don't know how we got here. We don't know where we're going. <laughs> Storm my life. <laughs> yeah. It's a great big universe, and we are really puny. About, really, really small, about the size of Mickey Rooney. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the song goes around my head all the time. <laughs> yeah. but, but I like that. I think it's, I think it's a good, albeit general, yeah. roundabout way of explaining the landscape. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. Well, let's move on to the next one. This next one is called the Emu and the Jabiru. Once, at a place called Nururumba, lived a person called Ganji and his children, and a man called Wurpan. With his children, the men were brothers-in-law. One day, Ganji and his children were down to fish for stingray. When they got to the salt water, they saw the water was clean and clear to the bottom. It was easy to see all types of stingrays, which they started to spear as they walked through the water up to their knees. After spearing the stingrays, they went back to the shore and started gathering firewood and cooking the stingrays, separating the meat from the fat. They grabbed some bark and wrapped up the meat and the fat and went back to the camp where Wurpan and his children were. When they got to the camp, they sat down and Ganji yelled out to one of the Wurpan children to get their share. But when they had separated the fat and the meat, they had kept the sweet, fresh ones for themselves and gave the old bits to Wurpan and his family. So one of the Wurpan children ran over and grabbed the bark parcel of Stingray and took it over to his father, who quickly untied it. When he opened it, he noticed that he and his family had been given old Stingray pieces. And then he said, they must have kept the fresh, sweet ones for themselves. So they ate what they had been given, and then afterwards, Wurpan stood up and said to the other family, You gave me and my kids old stingrays, while you and your family had the fresh ones. So they started arguing. Ganji said, You should have gone stingray fishing for yourselves. So they argued, and argued, and argued, and argued, until Ganji grabbed a handful of old coals and threw them at Wurpan. He turned around and grabbed a smooth rock, called Buiburu, which he used for grinding cycad nuts. He threw it at Wurpan and hit him right on the chest. Then Ganji started jumping around in fear of what Wurpan might do to him. From jumping, he started flying higher and higher. As he flew, he turned into a Jabiru without a beak and flew away. Then Wurpan told his children to bring him his spear, which was called... Wandhawari 
Jim Barmiri. He tried pointing the spear up in the air where Ganji was, but he noticed the spear was too long because it was bending backwards. So he told his children to bring a sharp rock to cut the spear shorter. The second time he aimed was just right. He aimed at Ganji and said to the spear, Please don't let me miss. Then he threw the spear up into the sky where Ganji was flying around. The spear went right through Ganji, from behind through to his face, until it poked out, making a beak. Ganji fell from the sky and landed at a place called Unguruyurja. Whereupon said to his children, Let's get out of here while we're still alive. Come on, as fast as we can. We'll head toward Malinji Dawahari. As they were running, they started to change into emus. That made them move faster. Their feathers were gray because of all the ash that Ganji threw. And they had a bump on their front where the stone had hit. Today, Yongu remember this story in a way that they cook whirpon meat in the fire. They always half cook it wiping off the ash before they eat it. That's the story of the emu and the jabiru. Today, the emu has eggs the same shape as the rock that hit him. <laughs> that was fun. That was a good one. Uh, <laughs> the, so that's where the emu and the jabiru come from. Now, those of you who don't know what a jabiru is, it's a, it's a large stork. It's got a long, pointy black bill. And, well... I guess if, to some people, it looks a lot like the head of a spear that came out the other side. Of guess so. What I loved about this was like the explanations for how they cook them. Yeah. Is part of the story. Yeah, that it's not only uh, explanation for... Yes, it's, it's not only the, an the shape of the animals around them, uh, but also for this little strange bit in behavior and tradition. Everything is tied together, and I really like that. I do too. I think that it was cool that it was explaining why these birds look the way that they do. Yeah, yeah. That some animals, some of them live on the ground, some of them fly in the air, and mm -hmm. some have bumps on the front front of their beaks, and others have long, pointy beaks. Mm -hmm. um, and like this epic fight between yeah. the two of them, <laughs> it's it, it's an interesting tale. I really liked it. Yeah, it is. It is a shame that some stingrays had to, had to die in this story. They're graceful and beautiful creatures. They really are. Honestly, rays are probably my spirit animal. Yeah, they are really exceptional. But, well, it's the circle of life. <laughs> True. <laughs> it is. And I mean, a bird gotta eat. Yep, exactly. Right? All right, so we're going to take a quick break and play a promo for you. Oh, yeah. As we, as we do. Um, this one is for a show called Pop Culture Mythology. Cool. Which is really interesting. Um, she does a really great job of talking about how like mythology and folklore have influenced popular culture, which I think is right up our alley. Yeah. And if you're listening to us, it's probably up your alley too. <laughs> um, the, her content is super interesting. So we're going to go ahead and play that for you right now. Yeah. I'm going to get myself another glass of wine. <laughs> If you think pop culture has nothing to do with ancient mythology, you couldn't be more wrong. From Neil Gaiman's American Gods to Marvel's Thor, and even Tolkien's Lord of the Rings trilogy, mythology is alive and well in everything we watch and read. 
Check out the Pop Culture Mythology Podcast to learn all about how mythical creatures, ancient archetypes, and regional folklore influence the media we consume today. Available now on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And we're back. Yeah, that was that seems pretty cool. I'm going to have to check that one out. Yeah, it's, it's a great show. We're back. We're refreshed. Yeah. We are going to keep on going with these tales. Now, last week we talked to you about the bunyip. And yes, this is this is a story that actually features that monster. So, you've Ooh. got the background. So, you, you know a little bit about the dream time. You know that this is uh, a collective memory of all the Aboriginal people. And, and these are uh, these are stories that were passed through, uh, you know, an oral tradition. Um, and this is the story of the bunyip and the swan. Long, long ago... Some men went fishing for eels. They came to a flat place they knew would be covered with water after the great rains. The great rains had not yet come, so they only found a set of pools. They began to fish for eels. All but Gunda had worms for bait. He had a piece of raw meat, and he put it on the hook at the end of his fishing line. For a long time, they caught nothing. But at last... Gunda felt something pulling hard at his line. Help, he cried. I have a mighty fish. They pulled and pulled and pulled at Gunda's line. At last, there lay panting on the bank a monster with the head of a calf and the body of a seal. It was the cub of the dreaded bunyip. Then they heard a fierce howl, and the mother bunyip rose out of the water and came toward them. Let the cub go, cried the men, but Gunda would not let it go. He had told his sweetheart he would bring something home from the hunt for her. So he flung the cub onto his back, and they all ran for a camp. They heard a low rushing sound behind them. They looked back and saw the mother bunyip riding on a wall of water which was rushing after them. Terrified, they ran with all their might, but just as they got to their camp, the water was upon them. Gunda dropped the little bunyip, clasped his sweetheart, and cried, I will climb with you to the top of the tall red gum where no water can reach us. But as he spoke, he felt the water swirl around his feet. Looking down, he saw that they were feet no longer. He looked for the maiden at his side, but he saw only a great black bird. He looked around for his friends, but they had all been turned into black swans. The little bunyip was carried home by its mother, and the water sank back into the pool. Those swans never again became men, but at night, sometimes you can hear them talk in their human voices. Well, cool. What'd you think about that one, Lindsay? I thought that was really fun. Um, Like, we obviously know from last week, do not mess with the bunyip, but even more so, do not mess with a mom yeah, whose yeah, baby you just took. That, that goes for bears, rhinos, lions. Bad plan. And bunyips. That is bad news bears. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I love the imagery of, of her riding this wall of water towards them. Yeah. And like they obviously knew better, right? They, they should they have did. been there. Yeah. I just loved that karma came from that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, except I also, for the main guy. Like, I'm confused why he 
I feel like uh, as part of his punishment, he lost his friends. He lost his sweetheart. Everybody. Yeah, he, everybody that matters. I guess that's true. Yeah. yeah. It's the old way of leave one alive so they can tell the tale. That's exactly right. Keep, keep the other hunters out of this particular area. It was cool that they were black swans, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's a neat touch. Um, I wonder how that detail got added into the story. Because of their black, black hearts. Yeah. Stealing a baby. <laughs> well... I suppose they learned their lesson. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> this next story is called Tiddalik the Frog. Once upon a time, a long time ago, in the dream time, lived a frog called Tiddalik. Tiddalik was the largest frog in the entire world. One very warm morning, he woke up feeling very thirsty and started to drink the fresh water. He drank and drank and kept drinking until all the fresh water in the entire billabong was gone. When the other animals arrived at the billabong to get their morning drink, they found it was all dried up. This made them very sad. They knew Tiddalik the frog had drunk all the water. They knew they needed to come up with a plan to get the water back, but they didn't know how. They thought and they thought until they realized that the best way... To get the water back was to make Tiddalik laugh. If they thought they could make him laugh, then all the water would come spilling out of his mouth and back into the billabong. The first animal to try to make him laugh was the echidna. She rolled herself up into a tight little ball and rolled down the bank of the billabong like a bowling ball. The kangaroo laughed and so did the emu. But Tiddalik didn't laugh. The next animal to try to make Tiddalik laugh was the wombat. The wombat stood up on its hind legs and danced around in a circle until he fell over in the dirt. The galah laughed, and so did the goanna, but Tiddalik didn't laugh. The next animal to try to make Tiddalik laugh was the kookaburra. She perched herself on a branch close to Tiddalik and told her funniest story. It was so funny that she burst out laughing. But Tiddalik didn't laugh. He just sat there with his big belly full of all of the water. Finally, the snake decided to try to make Tiddalik laugh. She started to dance and dance, wriggling and squirming over the ground, until she was eventually tied herself into a knot. The knot was so tight, and she struggled and struggled to untie herself, but was stuck. Tiddalik watched her struggle around, trying to untie herself and let out a small chuckle. That small chuckle turned into a rumbling in his tummy before it turned into a great big belly laugh. The water came gushing out of his mouth and filled the billabong back up once again. All the animals jumped with joy as they took big long gulps of water to quench their thirst. That was adorable. That was a fun one, yeah. That's such a cute, lighthearted story. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Tiddalik the frog reminds me of uh, somebody at my work that <laughs> just does exactly that. Uh, I spend uh, so many days just trying to make him laugh and everything. <laughs> he only ever laughs at the expense of others. Ken, <sighs> learn to smile. Come learn on, man. <laughs> Find the joy. Yeah. <laughs> I think the element that I liked the most about this story was it bringing in all of the native creatures to Australia. Mm-hmm. Not all of them, but a good chunk of them. Yeah. Like they were, they were present in this story, all trying to make him laugh. And I think it's a really great story to end on because of that, because mm-hmm. it, it is very, very at its core, 
Aussie. Yeah, it really is. It's a, it is a trip down under with really it reminds me of the, the rescuers down under. Oh man, with yes. All of the animals that yeah, they're all weird and many of them eat each other, but we still live together. <laughs> it's so great. So great. And I just just the image of Tito like it himself like this enormous frog filled to oh yeah just full of water like yeah. a big water balloon <laughs> exactly it's just such a fun image like yeah. this is such a great story for adults and kids alike yeah. because it's enjoyable mm-hmm. you know um it's teaching you a lesson to make sure to share i guess yeah but it's also just entertainment yeah then the value of humor and how um, and teaching creatures yeah. maybe if, if i were to change this story to tell to somebody else I might change it that the snake maybe didn't tie herself in a knot uh, so much that she she didn't seem to be able to enjoy anything else. She's she's the hero of the story, mm-hmm. but maybe it's really a story of self sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we didn't really hear an outcome, did we? Nope. But we can imagine that snake got a drink too. She's just and, fine and untied. <laughs> Everything herself, is okay, and the world continued to turn. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, cool. Well, those are some of the stories that we got from uh, from Australia on our little walkabout. Um, now, you know, we just want to take a moment and tell us, <laughs> tell you where we got those stories. So, the story of the bunyip and the swan uh, that we got, we found online. It was adapted from the Department of Education of New South Wales. Uh, they had a, a little reader for kids, and this was in their part one section. Um, and then the other stories. Uh, came from dreamtime.net.au. Uh, that's kind of a cool little website with a collection of stories along with um, a little bit of an explanation and, and some interpretation on them. They describe their website as a portal that allows any person from any race, religion, gender, and generation to step into the world of the Aboriginal Dreamtime. So I, I just think that's a really cool goal. That, I think it is too. That it's all about sharing. It's not about who you are when you come in, it's about what we can all share with one another. Mm-hmm. And that's a pretty cool way to, to look at it. It really is. Yeah. So right. we, we hope that you like these tales today. Yeah. Um, just a, as a reminder, as we do at the end of every episode, places where you can find us, cool things that are happening. Um, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Folklore in the Rocks, at Twitter at Folklore Rocks. <laughs> um, we've got pictures, notes, sources on FolkloreintheRocks.com, our website. We've got a Patreon. We have a PayPal button on the, our website if you would like to donate in an amount um, that isn't a subscription like Patreon is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a merch shop coming soon, possibly after all of the holidays yeah. <laughs> that we have. It's a busy time. Um, also, if you've got personal stories about a monster, creature, cryptid, even if you don't know what it was, um, tell us about that time that drop bear yes, attacked please. you. You know, We want to hear. <laughs> Email them to us at stories at folkloreontherocks.com. Uh, we like we've said before, we want to do a listener's episode, and we think stories from you guys would be just the coolest. Yes, please. So uh, we we are also doing a cool kind of giveaway thing. Um, we're doing free stickers. So if you guys leave us a review on iTunes, screenshot that review, and email that and your mailing address to us at mail at folkloreontherocks.com. 
we will mail you some stickers for free. Yes, and and wherever you stick them, take a picture. And yes, we want to see those. Tag things us, about let the us world. know. Um, we're happy to send them internationally, so send it on over. Yeah. And uh, once we hit a hundred reviews on iTunes, we're going to release a bonus episode with a listener selected creature. So that's a little bit more incentive to leave a review for us. Yeah. Um, ho- please be nice. Yes. I'm please. a very sensitive person. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Logan's tough. I can handle it, but <laughs> we also ask that you tell your friends, um, word of mouth is one of the best possible things you could do for us. It helps immensely. Um, and we really appreciate you guys listening. Yeah. Thank we would, you so much. We wouldn't be able to keep doing this without you. So yeah. Well, keep your eyes on the darkness out there and keep on sharing those stories, everybody. See you next Sunday.